Your next 10 million is a community dedicated to folks who have achieved wealth and are looking to achieve greatness. Our interviews and discussions focus on growing your family's wealth and cash flow with investors across asset classes, but with a particular focus on housing and real estate. But there's more to growing your wealth than just capital allocation. So we try to bring you a variety of conversations and experts. Please subscribe to get notified as soon as a new episode is released. As successful entrepreneurs, Cody and I are always trying to optimize everything that we do, not just in business, but in life as well. We use a coach named Ryan Kennedy who have changed and transformed Cody's and my lives in so many ways. Today, we're going to hit on so many important topics like sleep, testosterone, and just uh, intermittent fasting and all these optimization tools by Ryan, who is so incredibly knowledgeable. You're going to get so much out of this podcast and this episode. So excited for you to listen to it. Not only that, we're going to get them on other episodes in the future. Have a listen, enjoy it, and thank you so much. All right. Welcome to today's episode of Your Next 10 Million. Uh, today, Pasha and I have a super special guest that has had a huge impact on our lives and our family's lives and a bunch of our friends' lives. Um, so we'd like to welcome uh, Ryan to the show. How you doing, Ryan? I'm doing fantastic, man. Stoked to be chatting with you guys. Yeah, we're stoked to have you. So um, Ryan works is our coach for health coach for both uh, Pasha and me. Um, so and and we've we've really been super impressed with everything that he's doing, and I think that he'll provide a ton of value to our listeners today. Um, just in uh, what I love about Ryan is is there's so much like in the biohacking space, in the health space, and space in general especially for me, like we have some buddies that are really, really into it, but Ryan does an incredible job of like doing all the reading for you. He's like a walking, walking encyclopedia. And then he just boils it down and he's like, okay, here's what you got to do. Here's A, B, C, and D. Here's what you got to do. And, and I love that. Um, but maybe Ryan, maybe you could introduce yourself a little bit, uh, you know, who you are, uh, what you do, and then maybe a little bit of background of how you got into this. Well, I got into this from a real pain to purpose journey. I lost my mom to cancer when I was 16. And at the time, I didn't really know the whole extent as she was going through the process of like different natural options. But I just remember her oncologist telling her like, what you eat doesn't matter. No supplements are going to help you. All your, your only option is to take these chemotherapy drugs and hope for the best. And that's what she did. You know, she was just trying to do her best. And unfortunately, that road led her down a really poor path. And uh, she passed away in large part due to the misinformation she received, not just with the treatment options, but the misinformation she received decades leading up to that point with shitty food guide pyramids uh, and telling her to eat all the wrong stuff and swap out butter with margarine and all these terrible recommendations that we know now is like nonsense, but she was just doing her best of what she thought was right and what she was learning about on, you know, the radio and the, the TV. And so that really spun me into thinking, man, without your health, you don't have anything. Like as she was going through this journey, she wasn't worried about career. She wasn't worried about all these like things that we build up in our mind. She was just trying to stay alive. And there's a great quote that, you know, someone with their health has a thousand wishes. Someone without it has just one. And it's, it really kind of rung true and woke up me up to like, well, I don't want to have an early death. I want to live a long, healthy life. And I also want to feel fucking fantastic throughout the process. So I really started my journey more on the fitness, physical therapy side. And as I was working in physical therapy clinic, 
I quickly realized like, man, exercise is great. Biomechanics, all this stuff is awesome. But if you're not eating well, if you're not getting quality rest and good sleep, if you're not replacing nutrient deficiencies, optimizing your habits and daily routines, the fitness stuff only takes you so far. So I went back to school, studied naturopathic medicine and clinical nutrition. And that really brought me to where I am today. We're running full-time practice, consult with awesome patients like you two, and I'm able to help people really optimize their daily inputs and what they're doing during the day to really feel their best, perform their best, live a long, healthy life. That's what it's all about. Yeah, that, that's incredible. I, you know, I, I want to take my time to brag on you a little bit too, Ryan, because I, I would say that it's just more than amazing. It's been kind of uh, not even kind of just life, uh, life altering for me since I've connected with you. The way I like think of Ryan is he's like a Dave Asprey, Tim Ferriss, Wim Hof, David Sinclair, all wrapped in one. And like when you get coaching with him, he can just always give you all the information that you need. So it's amazing. So thank you for that. Thank you for being on the show. So, you know, was that was obviously the catalyst for you to get into this natural uh, health space. Can you tell us a little bit more after your mom passed away and what you continued to learn about the industry, about traditional medicine, and why you felt so needed to get into this industry? I appreciate the kind words, Pasha. And, you know, you've changed my life probably more than I have yours. So, <laughs> brother. But I don't know. Jessica is very happy about my newly uh, renowned libido. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what I learned early on, man, is there's just a ton of misinformation. I mean, this goes with any industry when you get deep into marketing and all that sort of stuff, and that a lot of people are just being misled with shitty recommendations. Like that's, and even beyond that, there's a gap in health and wellness specifically between learning something and actually putting it into action. You know, everyone knows generally what's to, right? You know, fast food isn't good for you. You know, you should eat whole foods. You may not know the detailed specifics for your diet, but you know, like, hey, having, you know, ice cream at 10 p.m. at night is not a, a wise choice. And everyone knows they should move. They shouldn't sit on their ass all day and they should get some physical activity. You might not know the best training protocol out there, but you know, like, I should be physically active on some to some degree. And even beyond that, like, we know we shouldn't stay up till 2 a.m. watching Netflix and you should get some sleep, but people don't do it. And so I really saw it as like my life's work and my life's mission. Like what can close that gap? What can bridge that gap of like people know generally what to do? How can we help them integrate it effectively into their lifestyle? And that really comes back to a few key things. It's really about time efficiency because we only have so many hours in the day. And if you ask someone to exercise for three hours and then go shopping and then prep all this food and then clean up the mess, it's like, they're like, I, I just can't do it. I don't have the capacity or the bandwidth. Mm -hmm. The other thing is, they don't have any structure and accountability. You know, these broad recommendations are one thing, but then putting it into practice and saying, okay, here are the ingredients. Here's the recipe I'm going to prep. It's only going to take this amount of time. Here's what I'm going to do for my workouts. I can keep them short and sweet. That really helps people. And then also planning it out throughout their day. So when I'm working with people. I help them map that shit out. Like what, here's what you're going to do upon waking. Here's what you're going to, where you're going to train. Here's what you're going to do for your training. All that direction gives someone clarity and it gives them the, the actual like nuts and bolts that they need to take these broad strokes of what they generally know is good versus bad and actually apply it to their lives. So that's a big game changer. And then the accountability piece is huge because dude, we lie to ourselves with alarming regularity. Like we say, we're going to do one thing. We just don't. But when it comes to someone external, someone outside of yourself, it's, it completely changes the game. 
And you guys know this, you invest in yourselves, you invest in coaching. I listened to one of your episodes on with your performance coach and you know the power of just saying, you know what, I'm gonna do this, but I also don't wanna let this person down and I committed to this and this person's gonna keep me accountable. They're in my corner, they're helping me throughout the process. That is immeasurably valuable to push through these plateaus and these moments of low motivation or low discipline or when you're just not wanting to do something. It helps you build those habits because you build that consistency when it's hard at the beginning and it takes what's ultimately a short-term behavior change and turns it into a long-term lifestyle change. And that's really the key to all of this is really building it as part of your identity, building it as part of something that you're doing for the long haul. And at the get-go, it does take that structure, that guidance, and that accountability. Yeah. I think um, my, uh, you know, the the first, I, there, there's, you know, there's there's something really key to like, Everything with health, I think, and you've talked to me about this, right? Like everything with health is a, is, is a habit, right? Mm-hmm. And you're not going to get skinny with one salad. You're not going to, you know, you're not going to become healthy with one, you know, with one day of staying hydrated. It's all about like, you know, building up, building up good habits. And like, you know, I think I can't remember what rule you use. I can't remember if it's 80, 20 or 90, 10, but you know, 90% of the time, let's say doing the right thing and, and, and getting these habits in. And my first consistent workout that I think I've had since college uh, was with Ryan and with like some of the stuff that he helped me put into place. It was the first consistent workout. I hate working out. I do not enjoy it. Like there are guys that love it, right? Like they're like, yeah, man, I can't wait to go to gym. I'm, I fucking hate it. And, and there's like my mind, like I get so bored while I'm doing it and I don't enjoy it. And it feels, you know, I got a million things going on. It's hard to make time for it. And Ryan helped put together a workout that is literally 15 minutes and would just shred me. Like I would be so sore walking around the next day. It would just crush me. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's huge, man. It's, 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 uh, it, I think you do a really good job of that and you do a really good job of like not every, not, no one's a number for you. And I think you do a really good job of tailoring everything um, to the people. Um, so yeah, absolutely. I, I can see how that's so crucial. And I want to interject that too, Cody. The great thing about this is that when, when I work with Ryan as well, he, it's not like a one size fits all. It's not like he's trying to put a triangle into a fucking uh, like circle hole. He really does sure. customize it, especially for guys like us who are always super busy and we need to have customization and we have goals. It's just able to package it up. And then now, Ryan, I have a question for you. How in all of your clients that you see, how long do you see that someone needs to be working on something consistently to create a new habit that create like a lifelong new pattern in, in your experience? Generally speaking, I think three months is a good length of time, but everyone's different. Some people pick up a habit in three weeks and it's just like they form this new identity around it. They're building positive associations and they're off to the races. Another person might be doing something consistently for three or four months and then they get thrown off track or something happens in their life to where it, it dislodges that habit and they're kind of back to square one in that sense. So it does vary on a number of factors, but I think three. Ryan, were you, were you throwing shade at me after my Europe trip? <laughs> it's that accountability. After Europe, I, I got totally dislodged. I was gone for like six weeks and it, it really, it really screwed me up. Yeah. No, and things like that are part of life. So it's not about how can you do something consistently for the rest of your life without any blips or any, any roadblocks. It's more so how can you get back on, back on track, even if you've kind of regressed or kind of something set you back for whatever reason. 
how can you get back on it as quickly and as efficiently as possible? Mm-hmm. Well, isn't that the whole thing about the habit stacking? I guess my like philosophy on habit stacking is let's let's pick one or two really important habits that you want to create now and then really work on these two. Because I feel like if you um, fire hose a bunch of habits that you want to change, it's just going to be very difficult to change, do a complete 180. But if you're going to be habit stacking, you can really apply that for the next three months and then move on to the next habit. I find that in my own experience too. If I do something for three months as well, that's when I've created a new habit and that's like become a bigger part of me. Well, those Um, incremental changes are key, Pasha, because it does build momentum and it's overwhelming. People get overloaded. You know, it's like if you uh, I get a lot of people reach out to me that like, can I just pay you for just one consultation, just one time? And you set me up to just give me a blueprint and I'm off to the races. I'm like, listen, well, I would love to do that. It's not going to serve you because there's so many things that you're going to need and all these changes you're going to want to make. I'm going to end up sending you like this, you know, 24 page protocol and you're going to be overwhelmed and you're not going to know where to start. So as you guys know. When I work with someone, I start with the low-hanging fruit, some of the simple things that are really going to move the needle and build that momentum. And then every time we meet for a consultation, we add layers to that. So it's this incremental change. Because if someone comes in from square one and kind of looks at all the stuff you guys are doing or I'm doing, you'd be like, holy shit, dude, there's no way I could do that. But when you build it in systematically and incrementally, it's like completely changes the paradigm and you're able to add little layers on as you go. And then it doesn't feel overwhelming. It doesn't feel like a ton of shit. It just kind of part of what you do. It becomes very normalized. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to be honest. Like when I started working with you, I, I want someone to tell me what I, I need to be doing for the next three months. Like I want that expert to be like, here, just do this. And I'm the expert. And and that's what you are, especially when I came to you for, and you know, I don't, I guess I'm pretty like open about it. My libido, I'm 38 years old and my libido was starting to shrink. And I just, I noticed it but the fact that I was able to talk to you about that and we were able to uh, test my testosterone, you know, figure out why as a 38-year-old male, my, it's declining. Obviously, it's natural progression of life, but it kind of dropped faster than I expected it to. So that really helped me a lot. Do you want to talk a little bit? I mean, sure, there's a, I think we have mostly a male audience who are high performers who listen to this. So do you want to talk about testosterone? And all like the strategies that not just for me, but for really kind of uh, a wide net for people. Yeah, I think testosterone is one of the keys for being a man and just living an optimized life. Like in general, man, it's crazy because uh, if your testosterone is low, you're really working an uphill battle when it comes to fat loss, muscle gain. And people see it very correlated to body composition, but it is one of the most critical elements is just your vitality as a guy, just adding the energy, the motivation, the sex drive, the overall get up and go, that's all testosterone. And we live in an era, an era with freaking crazy low levels across the board of guys with low T. And it really impacts all these things because it's hard to exercise. It's hard to make good choices. It's hard to get all these things dialed in. If you just feel low, if you don't have the motivation, you don't have the energy, it's like you're pouring from an empty cup. So by optimizing the biochemistry and raising up your testosterone through a various natural strategies, you know, lifestyle changes, nutrition changes, bringing in targeted supplementation, uh, like we do with, we did with you, Pasha, it makes a world of difference because then you're actually working in an optimized scenario to where your chemistry, your, your biology is actually working for you, not against you. And, and that's a big thing for a lot of guys, especially if they experience some of these, because Dude, I've had guys, Pasha, come to me who like body composition is pretty good, 
their uh, overall you know, sex drive is pretty good, but they just don't have much energy. They've got some depression. They just don't have that motivation to just crush it and get after it. And we run their labs and sure enough, their testosterone's in the tank. And when we raise that back up, it, they're like, dude, I feel like I'm freaking on some super nootropic every day. Like I'm jazzed up to the gills to like get after it. This is fucking fantastic. So what do you, I, I was reading about, you know, there's like this huge, there's this massive worldwide global trend of the shrinking sperm count and testosterone of men. No, I swear. Really? You, you la- no, I swear. It's, it's, it's a real thing. Um, it's like, it's, it's like, it's gnarly since I, I can't remember. I'll, after, I'll find the chart and maybe we can throw out the show notes. Like is it a big, big drop in sperm? Really? No, it's a huge drop, huge drop in sperm count and testosterone. I was just curious. What do you, what do you think is causing that? Um, like, is it just we as men are not doing manly things? We're sitting in offices on our fat asses, <laughs> you know, and not, not moving to go to the gym. <laughs> Not moving logs around. I actually, you know what? If I have to move logs around, that has a purpose. I'm happy to go move logs around, but I just, I can't, lifting, doing this, right? Like moving this single log up and down, up and down with no purpose. I'm not building a fire for my family. You know, I need, I need purpose. Cody, you're the I need greatest. to, I need to chop down a tree to provide heat for my family in the, in the wintertime or something. I can't just lift a dumbbell up and down. But now I've got I got some hacks thanks to Ryan. So I can't. the visuals of your sorry Ryan the visuals of you in the gym just like not enjoying the gym just brings so much joy. To me. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it so much. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what's worse is a treadmill running in place. Oh my god, that that for me is it, that's soul crushing. Can you snap some photos for us? Sorry, Ryan, I'll let you go. I'm just, I'll I'm snap just having some photos, photos. Cody. Snap some photos we'll snap for some us. Photos. We'll post it onto the. The yeah. podcast. Yeah. Well, to, to answer your question, dude, it comes back to just the domestication of humans. Like we've been so disconnected from our old, like our the, the the environment that allows us to thrive uh, as human organisms. So, you know, rather than being outside, soaking up sun, moving our bodies, and you know, actually drinking clean water, eating whole foods, we're doing the exact opposite, and that's what really kills a lot of testosterone. Is a combination of things. Uh, one is which most people are. Get not getting nearly enough sunlight and the near infrared light we get from the sun is massively helpful for our hormone balance. They're not doing much, any physical activity or not enough. Uh, and then a lot of the foods people eat are just terrible for testosterone. You know, when you look at the average diet uh, of someone and then you have the whole environmental aspect where we have this onslaught of environmental chemicals, you know, everything from all the chemicals and plastics that people drink out of and eat out of to the chemicals and personal care products and all these endocrine disruptors and household cleaning products and all just this onslaught of tens and thousands of chemicals that never existed throughout human history that have been introduced into the, the food supply, the water supply, and you know all the products and things that we surround ourselves with has all combined to cause this. And then there's obviously some social factors as well, just you know, a lot of guys, like you said, are not doing manly shit. Like as, as rudimentary as that sounds, like it, there's really something to that. Uh, and then just, you know, watching TV and, and numbing themselves with, you know, virtual entertainment is certainly not uh, helping. So it's not one, it's not just one thing. It's definitely a combination of things, but I've heard a lot of intelligent people talk about how they're not really worried about the population issue of overcrowding the planet. They're actually concerned about the opposite where they think there's just going to be, uh, there already has been such a decrease in fertility and they suspect that people are going to struggle in the coming decades 
to reproduce because you have to be a certain level of health in order to, you know, create new life and have children. So that's another thing that's kind of alarming, but hopefully there's, I, I see the tide shifting. People are be waking right. up, becoming more aware of this and, you know, conversations like this are becoming much more mainstream and, you know, getting, getting people to wake up and realize like you need to make some changes or things are not going to be looking good. So, so what are like, what are some big things, you know, we can do about, you know, I mean, me and posture working with you. So I know you're taking care of us there, but I'm just curious, what do you think the, what do you think kind of the big, those, those four categories, right. That you mentioned, what are just kind of like one big thing out of each of those categories that like the average guy can just, you know, do kind of straight out of the box. And of course it comes with good habits and, you know, doing this one time, is not going to fix everything. What are kind of four habits or changes that, you know, most men, cause I think most men do experience this. I, I swear not a guy I talk to right now, like in the recent like little while that is doing some sort of biohacking has been like, yeah, my testosterone was, you know, it, it was in a great place. I didn't have to do anything. It seems like almost every guy I talk to says it's low. Um, so I'm just curious, what are kind of your maybe big four or five things that people can do? Sleep is the foundation for sure. Because even if your diet's really dialed in, you're eating super good foods, exercising, you know, making good choices throughout the day, if you're not sleeping enough, or if you have really poor quality sleep, that's going to seriously impact your testosterone. So getting your sleep yeah. dialed in and quality as well. So I like to use sleep trackers like Noah Ring or Whoop to get that data to see how much deep sleep you're getting, how much REM sleep are you getting? And then to also look at the overall picture of your recovery, your resting heart rate, your HRV. So sleep is huge. I put that on the top of the list. And then moving in from there, I, I mentioned prior, getting adequate, what I call sensible sun exposure is immensely helpful. And that's going to help optimize your vitamin D3, which is one of the most critical nutrients for testosterone. It's also going to help upregulate your nitric oxide, which is going to enhance blood flow. It's going to help with your mitochondria. So you get more energy. It's going to have a ton of amazing benefits and it's free. It's simple. It's enjoyable. Now at the time of this recording, it's middle of winter. A lot of people are like, this sounds great, Ryan. I'd love to get more sun, but dude, I live in like the Pacific Northwest or on the East coast or in Canada. Like, There's no chance I'm getting sun, dude. There's four feet of snow outside. And so utilizing what I call a little better living through science in those scenarios. So if you can't get sun and you live somewhere where, you know, you're got roots and you don't want to move to a warmer climate closer to the equator, which would be option number one. Option number two would be to get a red light panel, get a red light device that can help mimic some of the benefits we get from the sun. It's not going to be quite as good, but it's going to get you a lot further than nothing uh, and also help with seasonal affective disorder and increase your mood, increase your skin health through collagen, all these different things that uh, really move the needle. So that's a big, that's number two would be getting your light exposure right. So getting adequate, sensible sun exposure, not spending all day under artificial junk lights and in front of screens. I read this um, I read this other interesting article. Sorry, and I didn't mean to cut you off, but in Outdoor Magazine, um, and they they talk about how like we've been, we've been terror, like basically everyone's been terrorized to put on sunscreen, right? Yeah. And you're gonna get skin cancer, you're gonna die oh, of skin yeah. cancer, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But actually like how how incredibly important sun exposure is for heart health, anti-cancerogen, or whatever, you know, anti-carcinogen, uh, you know, taking care of free radicals in your body, all these other things, and how incredibly rare deadly forms of skin cancer actually are. Um, so it's like this, we've been kind of conditioned that you always put on, oh, skin, yeah. you know, you always protect yourself from skin cancer, but how 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 little that actual threat is compared to heart health and cancer 
um, as far as death or like most types of cancer that are not, not skin cancer. Um, I mean, it, like the, the types of, it was like one in 100,000. It, it was something crazy small. Whereas like 500,000 people or sorry, 50,000 people out of a hundred thousand people are going to die of a heart attack. Um, and they're not getting enough sun exposure, which is like a huge thing for heart health. So would sunscreen not be good for you or is there any recommendations around that? Well, you mentioned Cody is true. The most deadly form of skin cancer, malignant melanoma, almost always occurs on parts of the skin that are clothed. So you're not getting a, a lot from sun exposure. It's actually low vitamin D that impacts your immune system. That's one of the leading risk factors for these types of skin cancer. And when you look at the rates of sunscreen usage, like on a graph, and the rates of skin cancer on a graph, they both go up right in line with each other. Very, very correlated. Um, so the majority, to answer your question, Pasha, it depends. The majority of sunscreens are toxic crap. They have all these different synthetic chemicals that seep into your bloodstream. They get absorbed transdermally. It's a big fucking mess. But there are some natural zinc oxide and natural sunscreens you can use that I, I use myself if I'm out surfing for two, three hours because burns are bad for your skin. So I always use the word sensible sun exposure because it's not sensible to go out to the beach when you haven't been in the sun for weeks or months on end and just lay out for like five hours and get burnt to shit. <laughs> because whether you get burned from the sun, burnt from the stovetop or burnt from hot water, like burns are damage to your skin. Right. It's oxidative right. damage. It's not going to be good for you. So you want to, the, the best way to optimize your, your sun exposure is to think your body like a solar panel. You want as much skin exposure as possible. So I lay out naked in my backyard every day during solar noon. Now, don't break any laws out there, folks. But if you're able to just take your shirt off, roll your sleeves up, whatever you can do. How, then, uh, how far are your neighbors? Oh, they write me thank you cards all the time. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. <laughs> they love it. No, uh, but in all honesty. My neighbors have like two small children, so I don't think they would love it. Yeah. <laughs> at my house, I just tell all, like we have two assistants that work out of the house. I just, we just tell them like, hey, I'm laying out in the backyard. Do not look outside. Do not come close <laughs> oh to, to the backyard. <laughs> <laughs> well, to your, your point, Cody, you can wear uh, some boxers or some swim trunks and still get sure. 80 plus percent of your skin, maybe yep. more exposed. Um, but the, the key is just not overdoing it. So laying out for 10 or 15 minutes is plenty for most people. And you're not going to get sunburned during that time. You're going to reap all these benefits I'm talking about. Uh, and you could even use a hat or a shirt to cover your face because the skin on our face is thinner and more prone to uh, damage from the sun. Uh, but ultimately, the sunscreen blocks all the majority of the benefits we get from the sun. So it, it makes it so you don't synthesize any vitamin D. It blocks the UVB rays that help to actually stimulate the mitochondria and create all these benefits we're talking about. So I'm not a fan of sunscreen, but at the same token... There are certain situations where natural non-toxic sunscreen is a good move. Like I'll put some on my nose and on my forehead if I'm going out paddleboarding or surfing for a couple hours. What's your what's your go-to brand? Badger makes a good one. Uh, and then a company uh, called All Train makes a good one. And you can find those on Amazon. Cool. Uh, and, you know, the All Train one rubs in just like, you know, it's not a zinc oxide-based sunscreen, so it doesn't leave the white residue. Uh, whereas the Badger one kind of leaves your face looking white, which not everyone loves. But, but to that point, it's not healthy to go out for, let's say, five hours and just lather yourself up with sunscreen, even if it's a non-toxic one, because you're still getting damage to the skin. It's still emitting radiation. And so the ideal scenario is you go out for 20 or 30 minutes, whatever your skin can tolerate based on the time of year, your skin tone, your proximity to the equator, all these factors. And before you actually start getting burned, you throw on a long sleeve shirt and a hat, like you cover up your skin. 
rather than just then lathering on sunscreen, but continuing to stay out in the sun, which will increase the aging of your skin. If you, you know, do it in a just kind of a reckless fashion where you're out there in peak day uh, on a hot summer day. Um, and then again, it also depends on your, what, what, you know, your susceptibility, because as you st- spend more time in the sun, you do develop a tan, you develop a solar callus, your skin produces more melanin. That's what gives it that tan color. And then you are more resilient to the sun. So it doesn't cause the same level of damage as someone that's, you know, very pale, that's just coming out here for the first time in weeks. Sure. Got it. Um, I have one question and then we'll go back into more of the testosterone trip, uh, tips. You said something about sleep, right? And so you know that my whole thing has been sleep, but I read somewhere that anyone who's saying that they need less than seven hours and it's most cases, everyone needs about eight hours and above, but anyone who says they need about four or five hours, or six hours, it's just a complete farce. Can you tell me about that? And is that true? Is that false? And I'm sure because a lot of people that are listening to the show are probably sleeping only six hours a night. A sleep researcher named Matthew Walker wrote about this in his book, uh, Why We Sleep. And the percentage is crazy low. So there are uh, there is a genetic um, SNP that does allow people to sleep five or six hours and that could be healthy for their body. But it's like 0.01% of people. It's very rare. So and probably majority not of people, anyone. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, not common. <laughs> yeah. And the majority of people uh that, you know, say they're getting away with five or six hours uh could probably very, very likely benefit from more sleep. You know, they're skipping on sleep and they justify it because they're like, well, I gotta get up, I gotta do, you know, gotta train, gotta do my stuff. And a lot of them are driven entrepreneurs looking to grow their businesses. And it's just kind of a backwards light way of looking at the equation because when you do optimize your sleep, your output and your productivity and your overall cognition intensifies and, and magnifies so much that even if you're working fewer hours, you get more done than if you work yeah. more hours, but then you're just not as productive during that time. So that's where this whole conversation around health and performance is really key because, you know, unless you're a W-2 employee that's just getting paid based on how many hours you clock in, most of us are compensated based on the value we provide, based on our output. And if you're well-rested, well-fed, you've actually optimized your physical and mental health to where you can be on, on your A-game, you're going to get more done in four or five hours than the next guy in eight or nine hours who's just kind of eating shitty foods, you know, getting that five or six hours of sleep, not taking care of himself, and ultimately functioning at a suboptimal level. So that's another way to kind of reframe it. It's like, it's about quality, not just quantity when it comes to your output. And you're absolutely right, Bosh. Most people Let's say they're, oh, I can get five and a half, six hours of sleep and feel good. It's like, well, it's all perspective. Like, yeah. I think you'd probably feel better if you optimize your sleep. I know for longevity as well, too. That's kind of one of the main things that I came to you in the first place is that sleep was the most important. I was getting on average on my aura screen like 50 to 55 until I started working with you. Now I'm getting on average like 85 to 90, which I thought would never, ever happen. But here I am. So thank you for that. But let's let's continue the conversation into some of the tips for testosterone um, that we can get to some of our viewers. So I touched on sleep, touched on sun. Those are t- definitely top two. I think you mentioned four, Cody. So I'll try and squeeze in uh, the other two priorities. <laughs> Is there any supplements that we could take to help our uh, testosterone? Absolutely. Absolutely. But I will say supplements are kind of the icing on the cake. Like you don't want to, you can't supplement your way out of healthy lifestyle practices. Like you can't skip on sleep and not train and then just take some herbs and some supplements and be like, oh, good. So I like to save that towards the end, but we'll get there, Pasha. Uh, I would say training is the next one, you know, lifting heavy shit. And 
It could be a number of different things. It could be any type of resistance training is going to really move the needle. In fact, a lot of long distance like chronic cardio is terrible for your testosterone. Like guys who run marathons mm. and do te- uh, triathlons, that actually is really not good for you in a multitude of ways. Um, but any type of resistance training, whether it be free weights, cable machines, resistance band, body weight, all that sort of stuff is fantastic. And lifting heavy, especially if you are doing more things like deadlifts and uh, compound movements, you know, chest press and things that work larger uh, muscle groups is going to have a better response as far as your testosterone, your growth hormone. So it's just going to provide you with a better bang for your buck as far as the time input uh, for what you get out of it, opposed to going to the gym, just doing like curls and abs. Uh, you're going to want to do more compound movements, but training is definitely a big one. And I would also couple in that just walking throughout the day. Uh, I know you, Cody, adopted a walking work desk, and that's something I've been a freaking huge, huge advocate of for years because there is, you know, a lot of shit we have to do during the day. So if you can answer emails and be on the phone and get your work done while you're getting some movement in, it's a game changer, dude. So I love my working work desk. I'll log, you know, easily 20,000 steps uh, on a busy day. Just while I'm getting all my stuff done, I would normally do while seated at a computer. But because you're in motion, you get more blood flow to the brain. It enhances your focus and enhances your energy. It improves your overall, uh, you know, executive function so that not only doing something good for your health, you're doing something good for your performance. You don't get as much brain fog or as much fatigue compared to like sitting in front of a screen. So I love uh, a couple, in addition to resistance training, just getting adequate movement throughout the day and not spending long periods of time sedentary. That's a huge one. And then uh, to cap it off, I would got to say nutrition, you know, avoiding a lot of the foods that tank your testosterone, a lot of the seed oils, these uh, vegetable oils that are high in omega-6 that have really infiltrated the food system. So canola oil, soybean oil, safflower oil, uh, corn oil. These are some of the worst things we could put into our bodies from an inflammatory perspective. And that's going to be pretty much in all processed foods, all fried foods contain these shitty seed oils. Uh, refined sugars, definitely uh, not going to be serving anyone here. And then making sure you're getting adequate protein, uh, ideally adequate animal protein, because that's going to contain the micronutrients that our bodies need to synthesize testosterone, like your B vitamins and creatine and carnosine and taurine and all these really important amino acids and uh, micronutrients that are freaking vital for this stuff. So uh, sleep, sun, training and nutrition, simple formula. Yeah, that's great, man. I love it. Um, you know, out of the, the, the nutrition stuff, is it pretty safe to assume that almost any restaurant I go to, I'm going to be eating seed oil to a degree. I mean, it depends what you order, okay. right? Like it, it depends what you order, but I usually tell the server I'm allergic. That's one of the tricks is if you say allergy, they are going to take your request so damn serious. I'm allergic to oil. Can you just cook my food in butter? And nine yeah. times out of 10, they have no issue with that. Uh, but it also depends. Like if you go somewhere where, you know, you're getting something that's steamed or grilled, it's far less likely than if you're getting something that's deep fried or pan fried uh, to have sure. a bunch of these oils. So it, that's going to make a big difference as well. Uh, and then obviously things that are fresh, you know, if you do like some like raw foods, like a ceviche or something that's clearly not cooked in oil because it's, you know, by nature not cooked, that's going to be another good bet. Uh, and then I, I liked eating at um, Mediterranean restaurants and Thai food and Indian mm. food because a lot of these ethnic cuisines will use things like ghee and butter because that's what's traditionally used mm. throughout their their cultures sure. that are far healthier by default. And they'll be cooking things, you know, if you go get Indian food like tandoori, 
it's cooked in a way that's not conducive to the seed oil. So there, there's a lot of like little hacks and little things you could look for when it comes to the restaurant navigation, because that is a tough one. But yeah. it also comes back to like, well, if you eat out a couple times a week, uh, you know, and you're kind of making the best choices you can, it's not something you want to become hyper obsessed with. Like people can mind fuck themselves sure. really quickly. Yeah, yeah. So when it comes to health, like you mentioned earlier, Cody, it's about having a balance, dude. Progress does not yeah. require perfection. We all want to live our lives. We all want to enjoy ourselves, uh, myself included. You know, I, I'm human too. Like, I, it's not like I'm a robot and I don't have any of these cravings or desires to any degree. I've just found it easy to maintain a lot of these practices because I look at the way that it makes me feel. And at the end of the day, no mouth pleasure is more important than how you feel, how you show up and your overall vitality day in and day out. And regardless of longevity, you know, I can get hit by a bus next week. Like who knows what's going to happen with longevity. I like to, you know, put the odds in my favor that I'm going to live a long life. But at the same token, it's about quality of life. How can we feel as good as possible while we are on this planet and, you know, give ourselves the best chance to serve our purpose and go out and crush it and feel good throughout the process. Yeah. Yeah. Feeling good is hyper underrated and I've noticed a big difference. (laughs) (laughs) No, it it really is. is. (laughs) Um, Because like, you know, like I think most people focus on like, how do I get six pack abs like Ryan? Right. But like where I notice it day in and day out is just being able to like hang out with my son and crawl around on the ground Mm -hmm. and be flexible and, you know, and, 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 and have energy get off of work at the end of the day and, and, you know, and, and, you know, get out of the office and like still have energy to go do stuff. Um, you know, and I, I noticed myself in comparison to other people and not to to my own horn, but like, I am incredibly more energetic and productive than like many people that I know in my life that are, you know, that get off and just eat shit the entire evening. And I, and and I don't feel like I have to do that. And I feel like I have energy to keep going until, you know, 10 PM at night and I go to bed and I wake up and I feel good as well. And I think that's, you know, it's, it's really underrated and it's, it's surprising. You don't realize till you have it, how bad you're living before. Yeah. And it's also addictive and it sneaks up on you because like, if you do a habit, uh, like a lifestyle change or a nutritional habit that you change, you notice it later on. At some point, you're like, you know, Cody, you're playing with your kids. You're like, holy shit, I have more energy in general. This feels good. And that feeling is very addictive. And this mm-hmm. whole this whole biohacking, this whole health front that I've pursued and Cody's pursuing, and actually a lot of people are working with you now that we know, it's just addictive to feel this good and to feel so optimized, especially when you're trying to build a business and have a family and really, you know, expand yourself as much as you can. And one thing I wanted to add, Ryan, is like you give these like little tiny tips that I think are just so helpful, but they're so fucking easy, which I love, right? Like uh, if anyone's like me, I used to just eat too much food, right? In the, in the city. And your tips to me were two things, just breathe. <laughs> Duh, right? Uh, just breathe while you're eating. And then secondly, uh, eat the protein first instead of eating all the sides first. So eat the protein first, let it fill you up, and then just slow down and focus on your breath while you're eating. That has helped my body composition so much because now, I, I mean, I still do it sometimes, don't get me wrong, but I just typically don't overeat. I don't need to scarf myself. And I understand that it takes my stomach to coordinate with my brain 20 minutes later on that I'm actually full. So it's, it's saved a lot of uh, ordering a second plate for me. 
Yeah. Love to hear that. Love to hear yeah. that, Pasha. And, and back to what you guys are saying, it's all about momentum. Life is a game of momentum. And once you start to get some of these wins and you start to reap the benefits and you feel better, you look better, your overall life is better in all capacities. It's like you just want more of it. It's And that's what helps the sustainability aspect. You know, when people are thinking like, man, how am I ever going to make these changes, you know, long term if they're at the you know week one and they're having some challenges some setbacks, you got to look at overall like the big picture. And as you stack these wins and you feel better, it becomes easier to do these things. And then you have more energy to crush all these different, you know, changes and habits and routines. And it's a self kind of, uh, it just self perpetuates itself where it's a really, really easy way to continue to thrive once you're already like at a really good state. Yeah. There's, um, I, I've noticed that I have so much energy and optimize when I do two things. I'd love for you to uh, expand on these two topics. You can pick whichever one you want first is the intermittent fasting. When I intermittent fast, my, uh, my portion control gets regulated for what I eat after my intermittent fasting. And I start to sleep a lot better as well, too. Can you give us some hack tips for sleeping and some intermittent fasting optimal optimizations as well? Yeah, I'll start with the fasting. Having a compressed eating window is one of the easiest ways to just feel better and eat less. Like it's a very simple thing for most people. And anyone that's adopted it knows what I'm referring to. The issue I see with a lot of folks, guys, is they're pushing their eating window too far back. So we're designed to eat more of our calories throughout the day, during the earlier part of the day when we actually need the fuel, when we're moving and grooving, our brains are going, we're active, uh, both mentally and physically. That's when we need the fuel. That's when we, we need this nutrition. But what a lot of folks get kind of in the habit of doing, because it's more conducive to your schedule, this is definitely a more convenient option, is you just skip breakfast entirely. You don't eat your first meal till 1 or 2 p.m. And then you end up eating your second meal late into the evening, like seven, eight o'clock, maybe even later. That was and, me. I thought, and I felt like I was intermittent fasting. I was like, I intermittent fast every day. I do 16 hours. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. No, that's yeah. by definition, intermittent fasting or having a, like a compressed eating window is just having a period of fasting, ideally over anything over 12 hours, technically, but ideally over 14 or 15 hours. And then only eating during that set a lot of time. But when it's pushed back into the evenings, the problem is, is multifold. Now you're running on cortisol throughout the morning. And when your body needs the nutrition, you're not really getting any, any nutrients in. So that can over time start to lead to, you know, some hormonal imbalances and kind of stress out the adrenals and start to cause some of these issues that we don't want. Now it's especially prudent for women to follow that input. Guys usually can get away with it pretty well. But the problem when you start eating later in the evenings is we're not primed for food at night. Our bodies, like our you know, metabolism, as far as our insulin sensitivity, the trillions of bacteria in our gut, uh, as well as just our digestive system is all primed for food during the day. And so when you eat at night, what tends to happen is you get poor digestion. So you just feel more bloated, more full. You don't actually break down your food as well. So you don't absorb the nutrients as well. And then when you're eating too close to bed, especially you're intaking all this fuel right before your body has almost no energy expenditure, like you're freaking sleeping, man. And so that a lot of that gets stored as body fat. And it's really damaging for your sleep quality because when you're diverting all this, when you eat, you have to divert a lot of energy in the body towards digestion. And when we're eating late at night, we don't want that energy going towards digestion. We want that energy going towards 
recovery, rejuvenation, detoxification, all these other things that happen when we sleep. So it tends to cause an increase in resting heart rate, poor sleep quality. You don't get into those deeper stage three and stage four stages of sleep. And that is really problematic for a lot of folks. So when I have people shift that, you can have the same eight or 10 hour eating window. When you shift it earlier, so instead of breaking your fast at one, you might break it at nine or 10. And then you have a dinner at let's say five or 6 p.m. instead of eight or 9 p.m. It makes a world of difference. I've had people lose five to 10 pounds the first month of working together just by making that switch. Just when they're eating, not even changing the food that they're eating, not telling them to do anything crazy with their exercise, just by eating earlier dinners. Because now you're creating the opposite scenario. Now you're going to bed with an empty stomach and you're actually able to tap into stored body fat as overnight fuel by eating an earlier dinner. And you're getting those fasting benefits of autophagy, you know, cellular cleanup, uh, as well as all these other things that take place while we're fasting at night when your body actually can maximize those benefits. So it's a much more conducive strategy to your health. Now, like I said at the beginning- So you don't even need to skip dinner, just eat at five. I mean, yeah, you could, you could skip dinner as well. Like what I, what I usually do is I'll eat my last meal of the day uh, sometime between three and 5 p.m. Now that varies, probably one day of the week, I'll end up you know, going out with friends or whatnot and eat a little bit later. So it's not something that requires 100% consistency with to see great results. But I'll have my, my last meal, which, you know, dinner, sometime around 4, 4.30, most days. Uh, and I feel freaking fantastic, man. Your food is completely digested by the time you go to unwind and relax and, you know, hang out uh, with my girlfriend or watch some TV or get ready for bed at 8 or 9 p.m. And so that's another thing that it, it requires some uh, discipline on the forefront because if you're used to eating later, you're used to snacking before bed, you will have those cravings at night. But once you get past that first week or two, those cravings completely dissipate. Like I have zero desire for food at night. Even if I've eaten, let's say I finish eating at 4 p.m. I don't go to bed till 10 or 11 o'clock. People are like, damn, Ryan, that's a long time to go without food. Like you must be starving before bed. But when your circadian rhythm is aligned, our biological clock, our hunger hormones, uh, like ghrelin, naturally decline in the evenings. Hmm. And we have less appetite, less propensity to eat. But How long does that take? Usually about a week, sometimes two. It's not a long process. If you stay consistent with this for call it five to 10 days, that will reset and those cravings will dissipate. And it'll be very easy for you to eat or not only eat early, but just not have the propensity to reach for chips or popcorn or any type of sweets at 9, 10, 11 p.m. like many people do while they're just hanging out watching TV. Because that's what, man, that is one of the biggest killers when it comes to fat loss and, mm-hmm. and trying to improve your body composition is the, those late night snacks. And they just wreck you. No, that's awesome, man. Yeah, that's incredible advice that uh, I think can go a really a long way. And even though like we've talked about this, I'm glad you're saying it because I know I need to reincorporate this back into my life of eating. And, and it's difficult, right? Because at least for myself, it's I do have a lot of social dinners or work dinners and uh, we end up eating really late. But really, it's kind of asinine to think it's like I could still do that. But like on my regular routine when I'm at home to that, this is the cutoff. My body will get used to that. And so yeah. that's what I definitely want to be moving forward. So thank you for that advice. Um, 100%. And on that topic, Basha, that's something a lot of people shoot themselves in the foot with where they hear a piece of advice and they're like, that won't work for me because fill in the blank, because I have work dinners, because my, uh, you know, family likes to get together for weeknight, you know, game nights, whatever excuse you have of why that won't work. But if you were to still follow that, 
the other four days of the week or the other five days of the week, you're yeah. going to see tremendous benefits. So it's not an all or nothing approach. And many people have an all or nothing mindset. They're like, if I can't exercise every day, I might as well just not move at all. <laughs> it's like, no, you could train like three days a week and see great results. Like you don't have to do it seven days a week. And the same thing goes with this fasting principle. Like you don't have to do it every single day, 365. Uh, so I think that's an important caveat to fit in there because I'm sure many people hear this and they're like, well, I work till X, you know, 6, 7 p.m. and I'll get home to prep. And, and navigating that can be hard. What I end up doing is I'll just get a couple hours of work in after I finish eating. So I'll finish dinner and then I'll work a few more hours. Uh, and that works really well for me. But not everyone, you know, works from home or runs their own business. A lot of people, have, you know, I don't know about people listen to this podcast, but I know a lot of my patients, if they do work a nine to five, it can be more challenging to do that. Sure. Um, but just do I think you're you probably going to see that most people, most people listening to this podcast probably are entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, investors, um, or have a significant amount of control over their own life. But it can still, it can still feel incredibly busy, right? Like there's, it's still easy to make excuses, even when you run your own. In fact, most of us are so highly driven anyways, we wouldn't have gotten to where we are, you know, if we weren't that we can be harder on ourselves than a boss, right? So, you know, then, uh, you know, I, I absolutely, um, you know, I absolutely like my wife sometimes like, like, you don't have to do that. I'm like, no, I do. <laughs> she's, like, she's like, who says? So I, I say, right? Like, you know, I still answer to a higher being and that just, that the higher being is my own drive. Yeah. yeah. No. And the other thing you mentioned, Cody, is you can always just skip dinner. If you have a hearty lunch and you wanted to sure. apply this type of fasting a couple of days of the week, uh, that's another option for people that do work later, you know, find themselves that they don't finish up till seven or eight and maybe they're not yeah. starving anyways. Just don't eat like fast until the next day. You're going to get a tremendous amount of benefits and it's going to be, that's the thing about fasting I love is it's like the most conducive thing to saving money, saving time, like maximizing your business and your work is like, you just don't have to think about food and you're able to get all these benefits. Right. Yeah. Let me ask you this. So, uh, I'm I'm not there yet. Like let's say like someone like you has a lot of muscles, right? And like buff. And so when you do intermittent fasting, yeah, like don't this, follow Ryan on Instagram because it's just depressing. <laughs> my wife, yeah. my wife, I'm, I'm, I, my my wife doesn't. I don't think knows that he has an Instagram, and I'm not going to tell her. No, yeah, you shouldn't. Yeah, he's a stud. Um, so when you when you intermittent fast this way, can you lose muscle composition and muscle density when eating only one or two meals? I mean, I understand that. You're going to say, hey, let's have a high protein meals when you do it and, and get that protein in. But let's just say for most of our viewers who want to take on intermittent fasting that want to take this on, sometimes we, we can't really focus on how much protein we can have. Sometimes we have to be at a dinner, at a banquet or something. Can you lose muscle mass by incorporating in intermittent fasting? Yeah, you can. But for the average person who's not like a competitive athlete or trying to be a bodybuilder, you don't really have to worry about that. Got it. Uh, you do potentially have to worry about not getting enough protein. Because like you said, if you're just eating one once or twice a day and you're not focused on making sure you're getting at least 50 grams of protein uh, during those meals, you can definitely run into some issues. And there are a few strategies I will implement um, like I think you take essential amino acids, Pasha. So there are some supplements you could always bring in that can help to augment uh, the protein during a fast where you're still getting all the benefits of fasting. Then you are getting some of those amino acids to stave off any muscle protein breakdown. But for the vast majority of folks listening to this who just want to feel better, look better, they're really, that's the least of their concerns. Um, 
unless they're, you know, and, and there's also a season for different things, you know? So when I'm working with someone, we might have a two or three month period where we are focused really on building muscle. And during that time, we might not want to do quite as much fasting. We're going to want to optimize protein intake, train a little harder, do more resistance training. Whereas there might be another three month period where we're focused more on fat loss and, and trimming down and focused more on, you know, they might say, Hey, my business is going to be crazy during the season. Uh, and that's where we bring in more fasting. So, so it also, it also depends on, you know, the ebbs and flows of that person's journey. Got it. Okay. Thank you for that information. Um, and then do you want to also give us some of your sleeping hacks? Yes. So when it comes to sleep, dude, you got to set yourself up for sleep during the day. A lot of people just show up at night, lay on the pillow and expect them to just sleep like a champ, but they did all the wrong things during the day. It's like, you got to set yourself up for success. So first things first, getting outside in the morning to get some natural sunlight in the eyes anchors your circadian rhythm, your biological clock, and really sets the stage for you to sleep better that night. I mean, it's one of the simplest, best things you could do to improve your mood, improve your energy, and improve your sleep. It's just upon waking, within ideally within five or 10 minutes after you get out of bed, you know, brush your teeth, hit the bathroom, do whatever you need to do from that standpoint, then step outside. No sunglasses for at least five or 10 minutes. While you're out there, you can do some breath work, you could do some meditation, some journaling, you could do some, you know, go for a walk, listen to a podcast, whatever it is, but get outside for at least 10 minutes to soak in that natural light. Massively, massively underrated for sleep quality. Uh, and it just sets you up to crush the day as far as just being an integral part of your morning. And then on the flip side of that, try not to expose yourself to too many artificial lights late in the evenings, because that certainly suppresses your melatonin production. So either wearing some blue light blocking glasses, but it's just in general, not spending a ton of time watching TV with, you know, overhead lights, not, you know, being on your computer in bed, all those types of things, you know, scrolling on your phone, not great for sleep. So those, those are kind of two simple things from a lighting perspective where a lot of people go wrong. And then in the evenings, I really like to incorporate some type of an evening routine that just helps your body unwind, de-stress, decompress. And so coupling deep stretching with deep breathing is a freaking fa fantastic one-two punch combo where you know, I'm not talking like a yoga class or anything crazy, but just five to 10 minutes, we just lay on the floor and you just open up the back, open up the hamstrings, the hip flexors, just do some deep stretches that you're holding for, you know, 30, 40 seconds. And while you're stretching, doing an inhale through the nose for four or five seconds, and then an exhale, we're doubling the length of the inhale. So let's say you breathe in for four seconds, breathe out for eight seconds. That type of breathing mechanics will lower resting heart rate, lower blood pressure, and literally calm down your nervous system. And when you couple it with those relaxing stretches, man, you just feel totally zened out after five to 10 minutes of that. Very simple, very easy to do. Uh, one of my favorite things to do in the evenings. And then I'm the type of person too, where if I got a lot of my mind, and I know you guys, you know, can any, any entrepreneur can run into this where you just get racing thoughts, where you're thinking of ideas and you're thinking what I call mental notes. I got to remember to call this person tomorrow. I got to remember to do this on Thursday, whatever it is, write that shit down, get it out of your head, put it down on paper. And one of the best things I found for myself, at least in this capacity is I don't finish up the workday without jotting down all these different things. You know, I spend 10 minutes just doing like a little recap of what I did well, what I kind of didn't get to and has to get bumped to tomorrow. And what I really is just on my mind. So I kind of have this brain dump. So I leave it behind and it's not, you know, when you lay down and go to sleep, it's not like your mind is racing. So that's another big one. Uh, and then 
Some people benefit from like a cool shower at night. Not everyone, but I personally like to take a shower, even if it doesn't have to be a cold shower, it can be. Um, but just a cool shower where you kind of cool down your core temp and get yourself all cleaned up before bed. Uh, and then there's a number of things from a supplementation perspective, just depending on the person. I'm a big fan of utilizing uh, magnesium glycinate is something that universally across the board, people benefit from more magnesium. And that form specifically is really helpful for sleep because uh, it's attached to a glycine molecule that can really help with deep sleep. And then, you know, depending on the person, some people do really well with, you know, 5-HTP. Other people do really well with, with GABA, which is another amino acid that can help as a calming neurotransmitter. Sometimes I'll bring in herbs, uh, you know, certain herbs like uh, kava kava is one of my favorites, just to kind of have that uh, GABA type effect to calm down the, the brain and just kind of put you in a nice end out spot. So, so the supplementation is very individualized though, because beyond magnesium, there's not a lot that works for everyone. And I guess magnesium doesn't work for everyone, but the vast majority of people would benefit from it. Uh, whereas many of these other things are very individualized, you know, where I'll look at lab testing and see, does this person have issues with their serotonin metabolites and could benefit from, from some 5-HTP or do they have issues with their cortisol rhythm and kind of identify what's going on in that particular individual to see what supplements would best serve them with sleep. And then there's some trial and error too, trying something for a week or two and seeing what type of benefits you get. Uh, and then moving on to something else, if you're not getting the outcomes you're looking for. Yeah, that's awesome. And that was a, that was a incredible brain dump. I had noted down a bunch yeah. of things that I could, uh, I could start doing. I actually sleep like a bear, but, um, I could always, uh, I could probably always sleep better. My biggest one that I see my, my sleep go to shit is like even, even a single glass of wine, Yeah, oh, a yeah. single glass of wine, uh, it, you know, it, it doesn't matter when I've had it, what time I've had it. Um, avoiding alcohol, like the plague during the week, uh, especially when I know like sleep is, you know, especially important. Um, I, I see my aura ring drop from like a 95, 98, sometimes like something crazy. I, I, I sleep really well at down to like a 75 or a 57. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's horrible. No, I'm glad you brought that up, Cody. Cause in addition to alcohol, destroying your sleep, late night food, like having a big meal late at night tanks your sleep quality. Sure. Um, and then one more thing I'll mention, because this is like a lot of lifestyle stuff, but the environment of your room is also really important. So making sure that the temperature is cool between mm -hmm. 62 and 68 degrees Fahrenheit is kind of the sweet spot for most people. And if you have a partner that likes it warmer, you could always get a chili pad or an Uller, one of these mattress cooling pads that could be a game changer. I freaking love those things. Mm -hmm. And then making sure that you're uh, lighting. So in the room, you want it as dark as possible. So having blackout curtains or an eye mask, if you know you can't eliminate all the ambient light, is really helpful. And then I like to remove all electronics from the room. There's a lot of good research I've looked at in regards to wireless technologies, um, these electromagnetic frequencies that are emitted from cell phones and Wi-Fi. So I have my Wi-Fi on a cycle timer, so it shuts off before bed, uh, and then just turns back on automatically the next morning. And then I'll put my phone on airplane mode and leave it in the kitchen or in the living room. Don't even bring it in the room. Uh, and these things, while not as big of needle movers for a lot of folks when it comes to the sleep, I think that there's just no long-term safety data around all this wireless technology we use and surround ourselves with. And I use it just as much as I use it like the next guy, you know, I run an online business and it's an essential part of life to be able to communicate and, you know, have a cell phone. I'm not saying to, you know, just go live in the forest and not ever <laughs> communicate, you know, with technology, but 
on the same token, who needs Wi-Fi while they're asleep? Who needs, you know, these sure. devices to be blasting them with these frequencies when you're trying to rest and recover? So there's simple things you could do to still kind of get the benefits of this great technology without, you know, so, so, you know, putting yourself in a position where you're just getting blasted by these radio waves all night long. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what are you most, um, uh, what are you most excited about? Like as far as like new breakthroughs and health, um, you know, what are you reading about right now that you're like, Oh, that looks really cool. I'm really excited about the potential of X, Y, or Z. I don't know. That's a great question. And I love some of the, like the latest, greatest cutting edge technologies and devices and gadgets and different therapies. Like I know Pasha, you just did stem cells and all these different things that could be really helpful from a regenerative medicine perspective. But what I always come back to is the fundamentals are just the biggest needle movers for people. Like you can't hmm. beat the fundamentals. And so as far as like things that are really like on the cutting edge, I mean, I've always been a big fan of ozone therapy. It's certainly not like new in that Tesla was using it medical ozone back in, you know, like over a hundred years ago, but it's a amazing therapy uh, for a multitude of things. So utilizing, uh, you know, medical ozone can be a game changer. Uh, the prevalency of a lot of these things, just as far as accessibility is really nice, as far as having all these clinics popping up where you could do nutrient IVs, you can do, sure. do PRP, you can go in and get some of these therapies done for relatively low cost uh, and low level of inconvenience. I think that's a really good, good game changer. Um, and then something that I think excites me is alcohol alternatives because I like to have a drink just as much as the next guy. And I don't drink because of the trade-off. I, I should say I rarely drink. Um, but some of these companies utilizing, you know, Kratom and Kava and different ketone esters and things that can help to give you just this euphoria and this mood boost and just having like a social elixir without all the downsides of alcohol, I think is really exciting and going to be a game changer for a lot of people that like to socialize and like to feel, have just a drink where you can kind of take the edge off and change your state of mind a little bit. Uh, so I think some of those are pretty exciting and pretty cool that those are going more mainstream and becoming more readily available. Do you have a, um, like, are there any of those things that taste good? Cause there was one, oh, they taste horrible. <laughs> there, there was one, yeah, there was one, that, Cody. <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> so cause there was one, I think it was Kava and, um, and I bought like a case. Cause I was like, I was like, Oh, like this obviously like, you know, a bunch of people have been raving about it or whatever. And, and I was like, Oh, well, I'm just going to buy a case. I should have bought one bottle. Cause I, I drank it and I'm like, this was, it's only a bottle this big, right? Like it's, mm. it's tiny. It's a, you know, yeah. two fluid ounces or something crazy. And it, it, it was so shitty. <laughs> yeah. It was, no, they, it was, it was worse like than ass. no duels. Yeah. yeah. They're, was, they're terrible, uh, but I will say all these things that taste terrible, because ketones probably taste worse than Kavan and Kratom, which are also terrible. I don't think they taste as bad as, as like vodka or, or like hard alcohol. You know, and sure. some people have acquired a taste for certain hard alcohols, but if I put them side by side, I'm like, I'd rather drink this yeah, dirt water true. than drink like this burning alcohol. It's just, we've figured out ways to really make it taste much better. And that's become so popular with, because alcohol is obviously most commonly sure. consumed uh, drug with, with our society. But I think there'll be ways, I, I have ways of kind of doctoring some of these things up to make them more palatable because you're right, they, they don't taste good. You know, something interesting is my buddies in Germany um, have, it, it's huge now there, 
um, because beer, drinking beer is like such a huge part of the culture. Um, it's become this really huge thing about among all my German friends that are my age, uh, that uh, non-alcoholic beers and non-alcoholic beers that actually taste good. And they drink them at like lunch because, you know, you know, you don't want to go to back to back to work with a buzz. Right. Um, but, but they still, they, they love the taste. Um, and I have not seen good al- non-alcoholic beer selection or wine selection in the United States, but it, it's becoming a pretty big thing in Europe. You know, I, I think like, uh, the the converse I, I'm noticing that at least in our like masterminds, Cody, that we're going to go find it's the people that we associate ourselves with. There's there's a bigger like slew of the population that's not drinking anymore, and just choosing the non-alcoholic uh, options. I know for me, I I have not had a sip of alcohol for about seventy five days now. But anyone who said, hey, when you go sober off alcohol, give it two months, and then you'll really see the benefits. And I used to do it just socially. I never really got drunk. I did it for sleep. I did it for just overall health. And I noticed after two months, man, do I just have way better mental clarity. All the... And I, and, and I try to evaluate, why did I have so many social drinks? Like, is this mimetic theory at work, right? Cody, like our last episode <laughs> that we talked about. But is it... Are we... And, and so then I started to realize I used to use it as a, as a, uh, a, a loosener a social lubricant. And then now that I stopped in those first two months, it was like, okay, I have to relearn this social game without this social lubricant, quote unquote. And now that I realized that I don't need it, I'm so much more social. I'm so much more in tune with who I am and the conversations I'm having are so much more like invigorating because I feel invigorated around it without having something that's I know like poisoning me and having detrimental effects to me. I can't... Uh, stress it enough how good I feel after I quit alcohol. I just wanted to throw that in there for anyone who's listening. And your social life hasn't suffered at all. You you no. still are, you're going out just as much. You're going out to dinners just as much. I'm going you're out not, to dinners as yeah. much. I'm not like, uh, you know, I, my brother had a, a party in, in Las Vegas and I left like some of the events earlier, but I felt great the next day. Um, sure. And so, <laughs> you know, it's just like... It, it's, it's such a crush. I mean, I could stay up like there was one night where I stepped up at 4am, but I don't have anything. I just, I was already invigorated. Yeah, you know, obviously I had some coffee and some espresso and uh, a little bit of Red Bull, like two sips. But uh, I felt so much better the next day. And I am finding now that, and I explained it to some people in the beginning, it was difficult because I'm so used to having that drink and helping the bonding effect of drinking. I've learned it to be a challenge now. And then I had to like learn how to overcome that challenge. How do I get better at asking questions? How do I bond as much as I would have without alcohol? It just becomes another problem that I love to solve. And now at this point, I'm finding that it's not affecting my social life. The only times that I do see that it's a tiny bit of incomparative to previous was when I meet somebody new, if I, I take a broker out for a dinner and we're not sharing that wine or drink with each other, it takes a little longer for the bonding process to happen, at least maybe in my mind as to how I perceive it. But that can quickly kind of overcome it as long as you listen deeply and ask really good questions or vulnerable questions. Sure. Yep. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Good for you. Thanks, man. Um, I, 
I have not done that, but I have during the week. So, <laughs> but uh, it's, 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 it is good here. A testimonial. Um, it's uh it's really interesting. I, I think I would, I think I would genuinely, I, I think I would have a hard time uh, with that. Um, <laughs> Let's so, do it, but it's good. 23, no drinking. It's, yeah. It's good. No, no, hard this, this is a sign the whole that year? You, you need oh to yeah. test yourself. I, I don't think you need to commit to the whole year because. <laughs> Come on, Ryan. <laughs> no, no, no. But coming from Ryan someone who has committed to the whole year. Um, but if you were to do 75 or 90 days, I think by the end of that, you just like mm-hmm. Masha is expressing, you will feel so much better and realize like what a downside it's causing in your life. Even though it's subtle, it really does compound that I don't think it's going to be hard for you to sustain. Like the thought of it from mm-hmm. the get-go, Cody, you're like, man, that sounds pretty challenging. But once you get to a certain point and you're feeling just off the charts good, yeah. it does become exponentially easier. Because I, I used to start the year like dry January, like most people. And then I get to February and be like, well, I just feel great. I don't really want to drink. And then that just turned into three months and six months. And then I'm just like, well, might as well just go the whole year. And (laughs) now I've gotten to a point where I'm like, man, I do enjoy alcohol. Like as much as Pasha's talking about how great it is to not have, it's kind of great to have too. Like, especially if you're drinking reasonable, uh, in reasonable quantities and in the right set and setting. But yeah, I, I, I could, I could, I could do a year right now. If you guys want to do a year, no beer, no hard alcohol, no problem. Like wouldn't even phase me, it's but like wine. no wine. It's yeah. the wine that kills me. Yeah, I'm, I'm a huge foodie and wine like is like a part of like a great food experience. Cody so is actually I, a, 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 a wino, like wino, like he, I, I somehow got onto his Vivino uh like profile oh, and shit. this guy this guy knows his wine man he rates it he judges like and and has like like gives a good description on it he like is a is a like definitely a wino for sure yeah um, but i could do i could do no beer no 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 hard alcohol i wouldn't miss it at all I, I, and I, I don't even, you know, for me, I don't, I don't feel like I need to get drunk to hang out with people at all. I don't, I don't, I don't put myself in many of those scenarios anymore in my life. Um, being a dad, like it's definitely made that easier. Uh, but like that, yeah, the wine would kill me. So. Yeah. And Ryan, I, you know, I want to just say super, super appreciative of your time. And I know we ran a little bit over um, our, like a lot of slot time. Is there anything else that you want to add that you think is vitally important? Um, Oh, and maybe even giving off some uh, supplements for testosterone. But really importantly, letting us, like if anyone wanted to connect with you, where to find you um, and how to reach out to you. And by the way, I, th- I would love to have Ryan. We, we went so far over and I have so many more questions um, that we could ask. I, I would love to have you on again, Ryan, in, in like a few months uh, after you've had a you know little bit of a break from us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. I, I really would like There's so much more to expand on. You, you, you know, so deep, you have such a deep knowledge of every topic. And this is like what he talked about on this like podcast. There's like five different levels deeper on every subject, on every supplement that he could go. Well, I appreciate the kind words, guys. It's been awesome to get to know both of you. And uh, man, just such, I can't get tired of you guys. You know, we can <laughs> shoot the shit every week. But as far as your questions, Pasha, testosterone supplementation, getting on a good vitamin mineral complex is, stage, is step one. Because if you're low in a lot of micronutrients, specifically things like vitamin D3, boron, certain B vitamins, uh, as, as well as things like creatine, it, it's going to massively impact your body's ability to synthesize testosterone. So you got to replenish nutrient deficiencies, step one. 
Step two would be certain herbs that have been well studied to help increase testosterone. Uh, one of the most, I'd say most efficacious ones is called Tongat Ili, also referred to as Long Jack. And this is something that can be really helpful. Uh, I really like Epimedium. Uh, that's also fantastic for testosterone. And certain products will have a combination of these different herbs. Other times I'll use them in isolation just to see what's going to work for that person. Uh, other supplements, especially if someone's low uh, based on their blood testing in DHEA, that's a precursor to our sex hormones. So sometimes I'll put someone on a low dose of DHEA if, if their normal levels aren't where they should be because that'll help to increase their testosterone. And then there's other things that can also be really helpful, but I don't want to write off like 40 different recommendations. So it really, and different things work for different people, especially when it comes to the herbal testosterone support. Uh, So it's something that's a little bit trial by error, but lifestyle changes are going to be the biggest needle mover. And then um, as far as your other question in terms of like, I think you asked what's something we haven't touched on or what's something everyone needs to do. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, people might think I'm biased by saying this, but I would say get some level of a support system on your health journey. It's hard to do it alone. And you don't have to hire someone like me. Get a friend, get someone in your you know, mastermind group, someone at your work, at your job, a colleague, a spouse, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, whoever it is in your life that can call you out on your bullshit and help hold you accountable. It's like I said at the beginning of this, guys, most people know generally what to do. And while it does yeah. help to have the structure and protocols and blueprint put together by a practitioner or a coach, you don't necessarily need that. You just need to do the fucking work. And for a lot of us, that just comes down to having some level of accountability and someone to help kind of be in our corner for the days yeah. we aren't feeling like working out but need to and days that we are feeling a little bit low or are having issues sticking with something, as, especially at the beginning as you build these new habits out. Um, so that'd be my biggest recommendation. Whether And I think hiring someone is the biggest thing because when you invest in yourself and you invest in something, you take it a lot more seriously than if you just ask your buddy or your, your friend to be like, Hey, we should start working out together. And then, you know, you guys end up skipping because neither of you has much skin in the game. Whereas, you, mm-hmm. and again, you don't have to pay someone per se. You can just say, Hey, let's put some money on the table. If we, if we skip or if we bitch out, like I got to write a check to some organization or do something. Now you're talking where, my language. Yeah. Now you're yeah, talking so you, my language. <laughs> you got to yeah. have, have some skin in the game so that you do take it really seriously. And I think that's a big thing that a lot of people know deep down, like, man, if I were to do this and invest an amount of money, I really don't want to lose or pay someone to really help me. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to skip out. I'm going to take it seriously. And that's, I think, the, the push that a lot of us need. I agree. Skin of the game is huge. Um, I, I love that. Uh, there have been times there have been times where I've thought, like, I don't want to do something. But I've been like, why am I paying? <laughs> why am I paying for a health coach if I'm not going to actually use it? So yeah, I, I love it, man. Uh, I, and I think there's a really good book called Skin in the Game by Nassim Talib. If anybody hasn't read it, it's uh, it's an incredible it's an incredible insight into how important it is to have skin in the game, um, just as much as you know, uh, uh, you know, in the line of work that we do in investing. Right? You don't want to invest with somebody that doesn't have their own skin in the game. Um, entrepreneurs having skin in the game is huge. Anyways, um, I loved having you here, Ryan. It has been an absolute treat. And uh, we, uh, where can where can people find out more about you? Easiest place is ryankennedyhealth.com. You can find links to social media. Uh, I'm most active on Instagram. Uh, and then I have a podcast, The Ryan Kennedy Show, and we publish everything on YouTube where I bring on 
different scientists, authors, people in the health and wellness field, as well as other arenas of just life optimization. In fact, I'd love to get you guys on to talk about your areas of expertise with real estate and investing. Uh, and so I publish interviews and also solo episodes of just actionable things people can do to uplevel their lives. Awesome, Ryan. Everyone definitely go check Ryan out. He has made massive improvements to both of our family's lives and to a bunch of our friends' lives as well. Uh, he is the real deal. And uh, thank you, Ryan, for coming on our show. Appreciate you guys. All right. Thank you for joining us today. We think it's an absolute no-brainer that hitting subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app will help you on your journey to your next 10 million. 